Unique, yet common sense opinions on sports. This is Jeff Allen Sports Talk. All right, time once again to bring my baseball guys back on the show. And not only baseball, we'll also chat about our football teams. And then we're going to delve into some TV sports themes because it's great stuff. And, uh, you know, I I talked to the guys about this. You start listening to stuff on YouTube. You go down the rabbit hole. All the memories come flooding back. And uh, so we'll have a lot of fun with that. So Jay Cresswell, Joe Finger, guys, welcome back. Thanks, Thanks, Jeff. Always fun to be with you. <laughs> and I, I'll, I'll try not to hum my theme during the show. I don't want to distract anybody. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you got the old earworm with that, too. So. Yep. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so let's start talking about baseball first. Uh, let's go uh, through our various teams and a couple of topics I wanted to, to touch on real quick. Um, so, Joe, you guys are on the edge trying to make the playoffs. <laughs> ain't ain't going to happen. I'm 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 sorry to say for the Twins this year, Jeff. We had we had hopes, but it looks like uh, maybe Cleveland or Chicago is probably going to take that AL Central. Twins have just been in a state of uh, lethargy for two months now, and got a lot of guys out. I know it's a, you know everybody deals with injuries, but they've got probably about half of their regular starting lineup out. Some of them for the season now, and they just don't have any spark, and they're they're just not winning the games that they need to win. So uh, I'm relatively optimistic about the short-term future, but not this season, sorry mm. to say. So um, I wouldn't mind seeing uh, Cleveland get in there. I like Francona. He usually gets a lot out of his guys. So I'd rather see maybe the uh, Guardians win that central division over the uh, White Sox, who were kind of everybody's preseason favorite. So would you say your team overachieved this year about expectations? But, you know, that's kind of hard. I think they did for about the first two thirds of the season and then coming down the stretch, they've just the wheels have just kind of come off. So I think it's going to leave a bit of a sour taste um, in a lot of fans um, because they did make some moves at the uh, trade deadline. You know, they, they picked up Lopez, a closer from the Orioles and look at the Orioles gave up. Uh, you know, we were talking about that, but, you know, the Orioles giving up their closer and uh, Baltimore has played better after the uh, the trade than the Twins. So I, I think it's kind of a mixed bag for the Twins this year. But I think long-term, if you look at who they've got, they've got a really a, a young nucleus of good players, uh, several of whom we saw very little of this year, guys like uh, Royce Lewis, who I think is going to be a very dynamic player. He's coming back from a second knee surgery, but uh, he's expected to make a full recovery. Probably won't be back until probably May or June of next year. Young guys like Trevor Larnock, Alex Kirilov have played very little this year. Uh, Kinto Maeda, who was their ace two years ago, should mm-hmm. be back by spring training next year, recovering from Tommy John surgery. And they've got, a, you know, some pieces in place uh, that we didn't really get to see uh, for a full season this year. I think the bullpen's actually probably stronger than it's been in a while. So we're hopeful that, uh, with all the guys back next spring, kind of hit the reset button. And I think they, you know, could be competitive, but uh, it's just, it's not in the cards this year. They just have too many guys out. Byron Buxton, uh, this is kind of the elephant in the room. If you're a Twins fan, he's basically been a part-time player this year. He's mm-hmm. had a recurring uh, tendonitis in the knee. That is not what you want to hear. Uh, he's, you know, probably played in 60% of their games and of the games he has played only about half of those have been in center field. They would use him as a DH. So for all of the greatness, we've been accustomed to seeing him perform out there in center over the years. We just haven't seen him out there very much this year 
uh, at all. So we'll be looking to see what kind of shape he's in next year. Um, is he locked up be, for a while? Be back. He is. You know, they're paying yes. mega bucks for him. They're paying millions and millions for him and for Cora. Uh, their shortstop, who's had a you know a good season, he hadn't put up great numbers, but they are for a you know a small market franchise. They are laying out, I don't know how many millions of dollars it is for those two guys, and overall the numbers just weren't that great this year. So you know we'll see uh, what Cora decides to do. I think he has an opt out after every season of a three year contract. So mm-hmm. uh, we'll we'll see kind of how that goes. With if Royce Lewis was healthy and ready to go next year as a full-time starter, it would be interesting to see what they would be thinking about in terms of uh, Cora. But, um, um, you know, we'll have to wait and see on that. All right. So let's turn to Jay's team, the Pirates. Uh, you know, got a lot of young guys in the mix. Uh, I know you kind of have had to kind of go through those growing pains more often than you'd like. But uh, <laughs> uh, talk a little bit about what, the, what, what your team's done this year. Uh, they've been worse than expected. Uh, however, the front office makes no qualms about that this is part of the growing process. Uh, the, what makes no sense, at least to me and most of the fans, is the one after another waiver wire pickups of guys that should not be in the majors taking spots on the major league roster instead of, and I know that they're all about getting these guys at double A AA and triple A to play full seasons there so that they don't miss out on the development. However, uh, what has been on the field at the major league level has been unacceptable. Um, You can see the parts starting to come together, but they're still greatly lacking in pitching. Mitch Keller, I think he's five and 10, but I will tell you the the last, you know, 10 or so starts, his ERA is about around three. He's pitched very well. He finally discovered how to pitch instead of how to throw. Uh, Rowanzi Contreras uh, was, the, was the number one uh, pitcher in the minors, and they left him there so that he didn't run up his service time, uh, although they'll never tell you that, but that's exactly what it was. And he's a low threes ERA, and eh, I think a game over 500 for what the one loss record is worth. And he's doing really well. So they have two starters. Bednar has been on the disabled list for uh, weeks and weeks. He may return next week. Uh, They've certainly missed him. They've overextended the rest of the bullpen, and most of them, there there isn't a lot there to overextend. So uh, they're certainly greatly lacking in pitching. If you go around the infield, uh, they don't have a catcher. They don't have a first baseman, although Michael Chavis has played well there. I will declare him as swinging and missing more than any player in the history of Major League Baseball. Uh, I'm, that may not be true, but it sure seems that way. I, I got uh, I got two words for you, Miguel Sano. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Might, might be worse. Sorry to interrupt, but I'm, no, you're no. good. Uh, <laughs> I, I first uh, learned that trait from Starling Marte, um, where you're pretty sure they made up their mind the night before which pitches they were going to swing at, and so they just come up there and swing no matter what's coming and no matter what the count is, and they just swing. And Chavis is, and I like him as a player. I really do. He has some power. He can play all over the field. But here's the thing. He's the typical player now. It's swing and miss or 115-mile exit velocity. You know, that's it. And I'm sorry, that, that only goes so far. So Castro appears to be, for now, the second baseman until Nick Gonzalez comes along. He's at double A and hitting very well. Cruz is at shortstop, although he, he's gotten it up to 230. 
He's if he played a full season, he's on pace for 35 home runs and 110 RBIs. And he really does smoke the ball. And over the past few weeks, he's finally discovered how to watch some pitches that are out of the zone. You know, before he just threw him junk in the dirt and he'd swung and missed. Now he's watching stuff and waiting for his pitch to hit, which is really good to see. And then Cabrian Hayes at third, if he can stay healthy, uh, he, he hit the mammoth drive earlier. I don't know if it was today or last night. <laughs> it's all running together for me now. But he's finally de- starting to develop some power. Brian Reynolds is fine in the outfield. He's hot again. And uh, Sawinski is a rookie with 15 home runs, even though he spent most of the year at the minors. And Ben Gamble's a serviceable. He should probably be a fourth outfielder. And there are others on the way. But the way the, the upper management runs the roster, you know what? They're in no hurry, okay? And when you're in a business model where your team makes millions of dollars, it, even if no one comes through the turnstile, that's where it lay. Mm. So that's, that's where they're at. Uh, they're in last place. I think they have the third worst record in baseball. I think maybe Washington is worse. I know Oakland is worse. However, a- after having witnessed the Reds twice in person last week and twice on TV this week, the Reds are a much worse team and they haven't bottomed out yet. Mm. Um, but it doesn't matter. They're still four and a half, six games ahead of the Pirates. So disappointing year. You know, there is a future there, but if they don't watch it. And just this afternoon, Cal Mitchell, another outfielder who's been up and down, uh, publicly criticized upper management for the way they've managed the roster. I, I don't know if that was a smart thing to do, but he felt like he had to say it, and he said it, and he's right. Mm. Well, I will say one thing, though. You guys got at least one against the Mets last week, which I thank you for. Yes, exactly. Because uh, every little bit helps, uh, you know, <laughs> while we're in the midst of our winning streak. But, uh, but yeah, so, you know, the Braves now a game and a half back of, of the Mets. They have caught them twice, once in a tie and once uh, by a half game. And then they slide back a little bit. And they just had, the, I think, their only their third three-game losing streak of the season. But they've been able to follow those up with long winning streaks. Um but Kimley Jansen is becoming a concern. Yes, as the closer, he is uh, he is uh, starting to blow saves at an alarming rate, and not at the right time of the year. Yeah. Uh, so that uh, that is definitely a concern. But boy, the the most amazing thing about the Braves is one through nine. You know, they have one through three, four through six, and seven through nine almost equal distribution of RBIs. That's pretty amazing. In those three groups, which is pretty, yeah, that's, that's, that's hard to do. Uh, so, and, uh, and, you know, I think Austin Riley being an MVP candidate, uh, he's had a great season. He really has turned into their, to me, he's turning into that face of the team as much as Ronald Acuna Jr. is the, the flashy one. Uh, Austin Riley is the guy who gets it done every day. So we will see what happens. And, and I don't think Acuna is hundred percent. And probably won't be until next season. Uh, you know, those knee, you know, guys can come back and play after knee injuries, but it takes them a full two years to really get back to the kind of the form that they, they had before, for sure. Yeah, and that they don't think about it at all, and they just do it. And that takes a long time. Yeah, it sure does. Um, so, uh, Jay, you mentioned a trip 
Joe, you went to France, and we had said on the last show that you were scouting for France's best baseball yeah, I, player. I went back and listened. Yeah, I went back and listened to you guys. I wanted to make sure that uh, you weren't uh, saying bad things. Uh, <laughs> uh, probably should have did. done some. <laughs> probably should have done some scouting uh, for the Twins on that trip, considering the way they played. You know, since probably the mid mid part of July, but no, didn't really do any scouting over there but did have a good time so uh you know taking a little small riverboat cruise up the rhone river That's from great. marseille to paris ain't a half bad way to uh spend about 10 days in the summer although it was hotter over there than it was orlando when we left they were having a you know a record heat wave in parts of europe including france when i was there but i kept up with what was going on with the sky vision and other uh, mm-hmm. other outlets on the other side of the big pond and um, missed you guys the last time, but I, I enjoyed hearing you uh, beating up on Rob Manfred and yes. talking about some of, the, some of the things that were going on there. Deserving. And, I, and I, I like the one line, I think maybe you said it, Jeff, the Orioles are not going to finish 39 games out of fourth place this year. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I remember that one. I said, yeah, you got that right. <laughs> Yeah, remarkable set. Yeah, yeah. Remarkable story. Uh, yep, yep. For sure. You did, uh, did you and the wife go over when the Red Sox were playing Tampa? I cannot get my wife to go back to Tampa Stadium. Uh, she she um, had a bad, not really a bad experience, but she just, you know, the cowbells, really? Cowbells back when they, I don't know, they, they still, you know, rattle the cowbells over there like they, uh, used to she used to say those aren't real baseball fans i mean i like the team you know they they, they do great but these baseball fans with cowbells and so i you know it's kind of a running gag with us uh, that's think funny she, i think they can't get her to go doesn't matter if the red Sox are playing or the twins are playing and um yeah, as bad as she hates the Yankees, I think if it was the Yankees and uh, the Rays in a playoff, she'd probably pull for the Yankees. That's how bad. <laughs> That's how bad it gets. Ooh. But it's kind of facetious. But yeah, we have a we have a good time, you know, making making fun. But I tell you what, uh, the Rays looked like they were totally out of it. But you know, there here they are again. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, the Yankees had like a fifty game lead at one point, right, or something like that. Something sure. crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Going to win one hundred and twenty games, and and now it's you know it's. I guess the Yankees have added a padded it a little bit here in the past week or so, but you know, Tampa, Tampa's right there, uh, right there in the hunt. And if you get in the playoffs, anything is possible. Just ask the Dodgers <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes. into the Braves and the Yankees have been knocked out of there a couple of times. So, um, you know, it'll, it'll be interesting. Just getting in there is going to be a half, half the battle because anything can happen. Mm, that's for sure. And now, Jay, you were just traveling last week uh, to see yeah. a couple of different uh, ballparks. Uh, how, yeah. how was that trip? It was fantastic. And two weeks before that, I was in Pittsburgh. So I saw the Pirates and Red Sox there. And what's funny about that is a, a friend of mine threw out the first pitch. I did not know this until I got there. And he lives in Tampa. Um but he's originally from Pittsburgh, and I worked with him. Uh, Joe and I worked with Kevin Marshall at Q96 in Orlando. He was a salesman, very brief time, and then yeah, he moved to Tampa yeah. and went into wow. TV sales, and he owns a very, very, very successful marketing company that, in fact, brokered the deal to name Emily Arena in Tampa. So that's one of their clients. So he bought the first... 
I don't need, I don't know what the difference is. They're, they're not NILs. What are they? Uh, it's, it's some digital riff, or I don't even know what they are. I'm showing my age here. Okay. But he bought the first one for PNC Park. And I'm sure that had a hefty price tag. So they invited him to throw out the first pitch. And it just so happened to be the night I was there, which is just weird. <laughs> so I saw, you know, the Red Sox won five to three. It was, it was an okay game. It's just the most beautiful scene at a baseball park in America. So I did that. And then, a week, you know, last week I went to Chicago. A friend of mine, uh, who we've been friends since sixth grade, we've decided every summer or early fall to take a baseball trip. And last year we did three days in Kansas city, which was just fantastic. And so we chose Chicago slash Milwaukee this time. And I had not been to Chicago in 25 years. And so uh, we went to Wrigley Thursday and Friday afternoon. And I will say this, they have fixed it up nicely, uh, especially compared to how it was before. And the neighborhood is much nicer, too. One does not fear for one's life uh, walking through Wrigleyville anymore. Um, and they've yuppified the housing. All the sandstones and brownstones have been fixed on DIY network. And, uh, you know, so my friend and I got an Airbnb half a mile from Wrigley, half a mile from Lake Michigan. And we pretty much walked everywhere. We walked 10 miles on Thursday and 10 miles on Friday. Okay, I'm still paying for that, by the way, but it is better than, you know, polluting the air and driving around and using gas. So it was okay. But anyhow, Thursday, we saw the, the Reds and Cubs, uh, good seats, great experience, you know, not all that, maybe 20,000 people there. Afternoon game, uh, the park was great. They even modernized the restrooms and the, the urinal troughs and, you know, the concessions. And they, they've done a very good job of course, Tom Rick had spent a lot of money to do that. So uh, they did a very good job. Friday was the uh, Cubs and the Giants. The Cubs won that night. Lots of Giants fans there in their orange and black. I guess if you're going to take a road trip late in the year, Chicago on a Friday is not a bad thing to do. And the Giants are having a lousy year anyhow. So they're not performing up to expectations at all after last year. So that was a good time. Uh, also uh, had some uh, Chicago deep dish pizza at Giordano's. Thank you. Uh, Thursday night, went to a blues bar in downtown, and it was amazing. Place held 40 people. Um, it was cash at the door, cash at the bar. You had to show your vaccination card to get in, and it was packed, and the band was amazing. Uh, but after like uh, two or three hours, it's time to go uh, because you're tired. And I might add that those two-plus hours to park in downtown Chicago was only $38. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, Saturday morning, we got up, drove to Milwaukee. It's about an hour and 15 minutes, hour and 30 minutes from, you know, Wrigley's kind of north as far as Chicago goes. And uh, walked to the lake there. It, it's, it looks a little bit different than it does in Chicago. Found an outdoor market and a place to have lunch. Walked around a bit, checked some things out, and then went to the ballpark for a night game, uh, the Brewers and uh, the Reds. I got sick of the Reds after this weekend. Um, <laughs> Nice park, uh, good amenities, wide concourses. The people were very, very nice, Midwestern. But it's in the middle of nowhere. It, I mean, it, nowadays they want to build a park and build the real estate up around it to make it a place, a destination, which they finally achieved here in, in North Texas. Uh, 
but there is nothing near, I'm going to call it Miller Park, even though it's now American Family Field. Um, the park's great. The people were wonderful, you know, uh, but it is literally in the middle. It's west of the town. It's literally in the middle of nowhere. And I might add that two pretzels and two Cokes came to $34 in Milwaukee. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, um, it was a quick game, quick drive back to Chicago, got up and flew back Saturday. And we discussed this prior to the to us recording here, but my flight to Chicago, I was the only person on the plane due to a, a cancellation and a rerouting. But on the way back, every seat was taken and it was packed. So <laughs> in all, it was a great trip. Lots of baseball. Uh, I've also been to, you know, um, Globe Life Field since we last talked a couple of times. Great place to see a game. Um, so I can claim Globe Life Field, PNC Park, Wrigley Field, and American Family Field this year. So big win. Next year will either be Cleveland and Detroit or Washington, uh, Baltimore, and Philly. Not sure yet. Have not been to Philly or Washington yet. Have, haven't been to Cleveland or Detroit either for those parks. Wow. But yeah, you, you got quite a bit done. <laughs> yes, absolutely. For, for sure. That's why we're tired. <laughs> yeah, I uh, made my trek to Atlanta in July, uh, three-game series. Uh, of course, uh, my friend Keith, uh, I know, Jay, you know him. Joe, I think you, you've you met him once before. Yeah, uh, sure have. Yeah, so uh, we we went up there and did did a, a weekend watching the Angels play against the Braves. Most unique experience. So Friday night, we're looking for Dale Murphy's Restaurant. And I thought it was in the battery. You know, you mentioned, you know, that's the same thing Atlanta did. They built a park and then built everything out around it. So turns out it was not in the battery. It was like across the highway in the Galleria. So Hmm. we, we, we didn't, we ended up not going. So we found an Irish pub inside the battery, then went to the game and said, well, I will go to Murphy's uh, for lunch the next day. So what great fate it was because, had we not gone Friday, we would not have saw Dale Murphy himself on Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> Phenomenal. Yes. Yeah, so he had a, uh, a private group. So he sells these packages. Uh, I think for 500 bucks, you, you get to eat at his place, spend time with him, and then go watch the game with him that day. Oh, um, I'm going to buy that next year. Uh, yes. Uh, so he had, the, he had the private group. And it was interesting because uh, in the little section they were in, uh, so they all eat and then he gets up and talks. So of course, the moment he gets up and talks, the whole place goes silent, <laughs> which is, which is spectacular. And, uh, he's, he tells a few stories. They talk about the restaurant a little bit. And then, uh, uh, he was telling a story about, uh, you know, uh, he, he has a thing that he does a hashtag TBS kids for people who grew up watching the Braves on TBS to which I applauded. And he pointed over and said, thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, wanted to get an autograph and he was doing that with his group and you know uh, like another group in the restaurant sent their kids over to finagle their way in for an autograph uh you know and i thought about it it's like yeah i don't want to be that guy yeah right you know i didn't i didn't pay the freight to get get that experience so this makes me just want to do it more next year. Yeah, do You should have just said, "Hey, kid, take this up there. I'll give you <laughs> five. <laughs> Use the kid." Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, so I, 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 uh, I did buy a Dale Murphy jersey at the restaurant. Awesome. Yeah, the the baby blue, 
version is what they had there, which which was which is really nice. Um, so great, great, great trip. And actually, in the, the general manager of the restaurant is actually a UCF grad, and they are the place UCF fans go to in Atlanta to watch games. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, they had a UCF banner up and everything. So it's like, oh, this is awesome. Uh, so we so we did so we did that, and then uh, Braves took two out of three. Uh, we did get to see Otani pitch awesome. and hit. Uh, the game he pitched, the Braves could do nothing with him through the first six innings, but the third time through the lineup, they lit him up, actually. Uh, and, and the Braves tend to be streaky that way sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did see him homer twice during the series, so it was a pretty spectacular showing on his part all the way around. Uh, spent a lot of time in the battery. Speaking of walking, we stayed about a mile away. Uh, the, the, the Friday we went in, we actually went to the College Football Hall of Fame uh, after we went, so we walked around. Oh, I got to do Atlanta. that. Oh, yeah, it's spectacular. Highly recommend it. Um, so we we did all this walking over three days. We walked 28 miles that weekend. <laughs> <laughs> no wonder you look thinner. Yes. And yes. that was in July. <laughs> that was in July. Yes, I'm still I'm still tired from that too. <laughs> as it, hey, as well, it, guys, I, I saw the Eiffel Tower. I mean, I, you know. Okay. okay. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Uh, so definitely, definitely good stuff uh, as far as far as the, the baseball travels goes. So uh, just real quick, a couple of little things. So Ira Pujols, the chase for 700. Uh, at the very least, I'm, pa- I'm happy he passed Aroid uh, yep. in, in that in that category. Uh, and, 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 you know, I hope the Cardinals play him a lot and let him get us get get 700 and, and maybe even a little bit more. Agreed. Uh I am, and um, maybe I'm getting, saying get off my lawn here. And I love Albert Pujols. I don't want to see him pass Babe Ruth. And I mean, he'd have to hit a home run every game to do that. For yeah. Because that's 714. But I'm, like you said, I'm so glad he passed uh, Aroid. And uh, I hope they give him every chance to get as many as he can. I just think he's phenomenal for baseball. And, and I, I still don't think people grasp how amazing his numbers are. Yeah, <laughs> especially when you look back, like well, the the first ten years of his career, yep, were just off the charts insane. Yep, and then he disappeared for ten years in uh, California, where people go to not be noticed. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? Yeah, <laughs> like what the heck? <laughs> <laughs> but so happy to see what he's doing, uh, and you know, he and they haven't overdone the you know, saying goodbye at every city they've gone to. I know Joey Votto did some stuff for him since he, but, you know, he did stuff for um, Yachty as well. So a very class act there. But, you know, Albert Pools is a class act. So it's good to see all that come to him. Joe, your thoughts on that? Yeah, it was just a feel-good story. I mean, he's just kind of finishing really, really strong. I've kind of gotten interested in it more so i'd kind of you know to be honest i mean last when he was in the american league out west didn't think too much about him wasn't sure he'd even still be playing at this point but he's had a you know bit of a rejuvenation and uh yeah i'm i'm with jay it'd be great to great to see him get it and uh, i'm also following the uh aaron judge homer yes uh, that was my next (laughs) one watch as well i was gonna think you know we're talking about home runs I want to talk about what he's doing, which whether you're a Yankee fan or not, what he's doing this year 
It's pretty remarkable with the home runs being down the way they are. He's and he's so far ahead of um, I don't even remember now who's in second place from the major league in homers. Well, I know I know Riley's got thirty eight. I know he's not in second, but that, that just um, kind of no, tells you. I yeah. saw it earlier today, but it's uh, yeah, it's unbelievable. The, not the, even, the difference is just spectacular. Yeah, not even close. Uh, who was it? Man, I'm not sure, but. But yeah, considering we're way down in home runs over where we were, you know, three years ago when we had, I don't know how many thousands of home runs or whatever it was, but I read today we're down almost probably going to be down by about 2,000 home runs season total in Major League Baseball compared to where we were three years ago. But uh, <sighs> Judge has just been hitting it. And, you know, another thing I thought of, Jeff, um, you mentioned when you were up to see the Braves and... Otani pretty much had their number until the what you said the third time through the lineup. Yep. Is that right? Mm-hmm. And we we hear that a lot these days. And so when I was yes. doing a little research on what Aaron Judge is doing, you know, it, it said that it's not that common for him to face any pitcher for a third time in the um, in a game this year, a starting pitcher, and only twice all year has he faced a starting pitcher for the fourth time uh in a game so it's the the nature of the game has changed so much and i think that in some sense makes it even more remarkable to see what he's doing because they're not leaving these guys in past five and you know if you if you're a minnesota twin starting pitcher and you pitch five that counts as a complete game if you're and now it's a quality start (laughs) oh that's another thing i was going to we could talk about but you know he's doing it against uh, a, a far greater number of pitchers and relief pitchers coming in who are throwing a hundred miles an hour kind of routinely, and so it, you know it's pretty amazing to see what he's doing considering all of the other variables which would tend to mitigate against having a season like the one he's having. So at the very least, he may set the American League home run record, which I guess is what still held by Maris. I, yes. I guess it's actually Roger 61 Maris. it is. Yeah. Kind of ironic. Um, I wonder, wonder how the Yankee fans feel about that. I, you know, win-win, I guess. So I just, while you're talking about that, I I, find, I went to MLB.com and believe me, you need a PhD to find your way through their website. Yes. Um, and I know Riley's at 38, so this is not current, but Schwarber had 37 at this writing. And Riley at 36, and that was second and third in the majors behind Judge at 55. Just unbelievable. Yeah, that's yeah, that's that's just insane. It, it, <laughs> what do you? Yeah, so yeah, um, actually Riley only has 36, so I guess it is up to date. Okay. Uh, yeah, Judge at 55, Goldschmidt 37, Riley 36. So yeah, yes. commanding lead. I have mixed emotions about him breaking Maris's mark. You know, it's it's kind of like you want to see one of those old marks still hang around. You know, I know there are many of them. No, and that would be one more that would go go yep. by the boards. Well, there's about 20 games left, so he has plenty of time. Yeah, <laughs> if the Rady's hitting him, it's yes, <laughs> it's he's likely to get it. Probably a good chance, I think. Yeah. Hey, I want to ask you something real quick. You know, yeah. talk about starting pitchers. Um, let's see what you guys think. Starting pitchers these days, you know, complete games are are a rarity. And I think some, uh, depending on who you're reading, um, uh, they don't even count the complete game as a statistic anymore. It's become so rare. It's not it's not even relevant. Um, You know, when I was when I was a kid, probably all relate to this. We would think, well, pitcher goes into the seventh, sixth inning, 
starts getting hit hard. Well, the pitcher's getting tired. The pitcher is getting tired. Now, was it really that, or is it more that the batters were just becoming more familiar with this pitcher? Is it more familiarity, or is it more stamina? Back in the day, it was like some guys just were workhorses; they could do it. But I'm reading some stuff today. You know, I'm always delving into the stats. I mean, even back, you look back in 1968, the great season Bob Gibson had. Third time through the lineup, uh, as great as he was, his earned run average based on guys he was facing for the third time through was significantly higher. Now, it wasn't yeah. high, but it was from a statistical standpoint yeah. noticeably higher even then. Yeah, so I it was like, you, he, was, he was like a point, uh, you know, 0.050, and then it goes up to 1.1. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. I, Joe, I think you make a really valid point there. I don't think they're getting tired. I think the hitters are catching on. Yeah. They know that through six innings, the fastball up is working. Well, guess what? I'm going to look for that next time I'm up there. And then maybe some tiredness you know, factors into that. And the fastball up isn't that fast anymore. So I think yeah. you're right. I think it's always been that way. Yeah, I think so. Even with and then John Smoltz, I saw a line on him from back some of the great seasons he had, Jeff, with the Braves. Uh, third time through the lineup, not nearly as effective. Yep. Although, you know, for the season as a whole, great numbers. But if you start breaking it down and deconstructing it, you can see this, this kind of uh, dynamic or whatever you want to call it. It's not just a current thing. We just didn't follow those kinds of statistics, didn't have the depth of analytics, you know, back then that we do now. Sure. But you can go back and do a retrospective look at it. And it's not really anything that's new. And I think it's why managers are, you know, taking guys out. And it's why uh, bullpens are being relied upon more and more and more. Like I said, with the Twins, if a guy gets it into the sixth inning, holy smokes, that is a quality start plus right there. Yeah. Like, like, come on. <laughs> but I guess it's all it's all analytics driven. Yeah, we had three or four instances recently where we got to the seventh and eighth inning with the starter. And it was like, this is amazing. <laughs> That's unheard of. And you, then you think of the, you know, what, you know, guys would throw, what, 20 complete games a season back in the day, yep. not more. I <laughs> mean, it's crazy. Yeah, it's, a, it's it's totally remarkable if you look at the difference between, especially if you go way way back into prior to our time. Even I mean, it's been a complete one eighty in terms of what pitchers are doing, whether it's because of this factor or that. But it's a totally different um, way that starting pitching is being used, and there appears to be no end to that. Um, yeah. Well, the, you know, they're using statistics to make their points. Uh, we all remember when. You know, in the 90s with Leo Mazzoni as the pitching coach at the Braves, what did those guys do between starts? They threw every day to keep their arms strong. <laughs> okay? Three of them are in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You, it yeah. makes you wonder why people don't try that. Method. I know. And that, need, uh, you know, again, that needs to start at the high school or prep league or college level to build that up. But, you know. Hey, what is a quality start? Do you know the definition off the top of your head? I believe it's seven innings and three or fewer earned runs. That's a Guessing. quality start. That's a quality start plus. That's a premium quality start. Yeah. So how about uh, six innings? Minimum of six. Could be more, but six innings and give up no more than three runs. So you, you could have a – that's like a earned run average of 450. Yeah. 450. And um, 
<laughs> and I'm bringing up, mentioned that because uh, there's this guy with the Astros. I don't have to know you are with this guy. Framber Valdez, he has 24 consecutive quality starts now, which is inching in on like an wow. all-time high. 24 consecutive quality starts. And considering we don't get complete games anymore, maybe the quality start is a better metric to judge yeah. what pitchers are producing. But then you, you, can, yeah. you can get into a debate over what should constitute a quality start or not. Yeah. So. You can imagine like a guy like Nolan Ryan thinking, you know, I'd roll out of bed and have you know, 24 quality starts, you know, <laughs> yeah. there was, and it was a, you know, the guy, super 70 sports on Twitter. Hilarious. Ricky Cobb. Nolan, He's awesome. Yeah. Nolan Ryan meme. And it was a game where he threw 220 pitches. And then on three days rest, he oh, came back and threw a complete game. You know, 220. <laughs> yes. Oh, 220 pitches. It's, <laughs> it's amazing. About- that's about three or four starts for anybody in the Twins rotation. Yes. <laughs> about 67.5 per game. By the way, lifetime leaders in quality starts, Nolan Ryan is number two. It's number two. I think a guess as to who number one was, and it was somebody from our generation and would have been in his generation as well during hmm. that period. Someone who s- pitched in Atlanta. I'm I know say- he did pitch in Atlanta, but he has an, an Atlanta connection in some ways. Hmm. I'm, I, God, I don't, I was going to say like Don Drysdale. Uh, you got the first name, right? Don Sutton. Don Sutton. Don Sutton. Yeah. Great pitcher. Yeah. Yep. And yep. a good broadcaster. He yes, was. he was. He was. Yes. 483 quality Oh stars. yeah. He, he had a rubber arm. Yeah. He definitely, but he was a great pitcher. Yes. You're in and you're out. Yep. Yep. And the interesting thing is, you know, we say quality start six innings, Three runs, uh, you know, that's an ERA of four and a half, which doesn't sound, well, it's not that great, really. Right. Uh, and so um, you might think, well, that's a pretty bad definition of a quality start. But yet, if you look at all of the pitchers who've had the most quality starts, I'm looking at a list right now of the top like 10 or 12 all time. Every single one of them had an earned run average of below two in the games where they got a quality start. Oh, my God. So there are not many of these guys going six and giving up three. I mean, yeah. most of these are really, you know, shutouts and giving up far fewer runs. So over a long period of time, that, that critique of it maybe being a little too loosey-goosey with what a quality start is begins to lose a little bit of its uh, validity, I think, when sure. you look at what guys do over a long period of, uh, long period of time. Wow. Amazing stuff. That was a quality stat. Yeah. <laughs> Glavin and Maddox are in the top uh, 10 as well. They better be. Career, yeah, yeah, I was about to say, I wouldn't be surprised by well, that. Well, here we go. I'll just give it to you. Sutton, Ryan, Maddox, Roger Clemens, Seaver, Gaylord Perry, Steve Carlton, Necro. Boy, there's a lot of Braves connections here. Tommy Glavin, uh, Tommy John, and Burt Blylevin. Ooh, heard to be home by 11. That's right. That's right. I love him. Yes. Yes. What a, what a, that's an amazing list. <laughs> when you stop and think about that. Crazy stuff. Before we switch over to football, any other baseball thoughts you guys want to bring up? Are you good on that? I want to talk about rule changes. Ah, yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there is that. Why are there bigger bases? Someone explained to me it's a safety issue, and I think they're full of it. But I, you know what? I don't, I guess I don't have a problem with it. You know, it just makes the, the next base, what, two inches closer than it was. 
you know, yeah. to the edge of the base. Yeah. You know, I was thinking this today and I'm maybe, maybe I'm off a little bit, but just kind of anecdotally looking at all, all the times I've seen guys try to steal the base and get thrown out. Usually a guy trying to steal a base is because he runs pretty well. Yep. And unless he just gets a terrible jump, it's a, usually a pretty close play at second base. Almost always. Now, if I'm going to give him an extra, what is it, four inches? Yeah, two on, each is, base, two on each side of the base. Yep. Then yeah. that, that sounds like it might be significant. Yeah. And I think that stolen bases are up in the minor leagues where this has been yes. going on for a little while. Yes. So it'll be interesting to see how that and plays out at the major will, league level. Will it help guys prevent themselves from oversliding the base, which you see so often now? I guess in I theory, think that's they have a more lack room. of fundamentals. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> that's that's crazy. So uh, pitch clock. All in favor. It, and it only works if they make the batter. Yes. Yeah. You know, so is that clock going to start when the batter gets in the box? You know, you know, yeah, or, I'm in on it, too, guys. I mean, I, we want to speed the game up a little bit here, right? Yep. Yeah. But I was looking at, wanna, you know, I've, yeah, it's. I'm looking at these, this rule on that, and you know, it's like, okay, 30 seconds between batters, 20 seconds with runners on base for the pitcher, and 15, 15 if there's nobody on base. But then there's about a dozen sub-rules in there. Yes, yes. Where you got eight seconds to do that and nine seconds to do this, and it just – who's going to – I want to know who's going to police all of this. Exactly. There's a new job with a guy with a bunch <laughs> of stopwatches. Okay, and I think I want that job. I'm going, we're ready. I'm ready to retire and get a part time job. That would exactly. be great. Yes. I, first of all, I want to be the guy with the hose that hoses down the infield before they start playing, and then I want to be the guy with the stopwatches on this. I don't know. Are there going to be instant replays? That was nine seconds. Not you know. Oh. <laughs> but I am highly in favor of the pitch clock, and the pitch clock does work on the batter as well. You can only step out once or call time once. You have to be in the box when you do it, you know, and hopefully it'll end all this snapping and unsnapping of the, you know, the, the batting gloves and all that. At some point, they'll get used to it, just like the minors have. And you've seen the length of the games in the minors have gone down almost 20 to 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. Not a half hour. Yeah. On board. True. Good stuff. What was the other rule? Um, Infield shift. Yes, yes. And I want to take the F out of the word shift when we talk about this one. Um, (laughs) So next rule up is we're banning curveballs because they're too difficult to hit. And then someone made the football analogy. So are we going to ban blitzing two guys from the same side? Do you have to blitz one guy from each side? I mean, that's just unfair to blitz two guys from one side. Um, I just think a major league player should be able to hit the ball where they aren't uh, in the infield. Uh, and it, it makes me angry and I want everyone to get off my lawn about the infield shift. Yeah. I, I'm with you on that one. Here's the other thing, two guys on either side of second base. Okay. Now the one guy can almost be standing behind second base and he can move on the pitch, but that, you know, the other part of the rule is no infielders standing behind the dirt and how many guys have grounded out to the second baseman who's playing right field almost. So that brings up this possible, let's see who cheats the Astros. So they're (laughs) going to start lengthening the dirt in the infield so that they can play deeper than other teams. 
I wouldn't put it by them. <laughs> They're going to shave an inch of grass off the outfield and move the guy back another inch. And before you know it, it'll be dirt all the way to right field. Oh, man. You can still move an outfielder to the infield. Well, yes. Is there a scenario under which that would make sense? You can, so you could still have what looks like a shift, but you would be down an outfielder. Yes. That is correct. Yes. Yeah. And I get that. I mean, I saw that in spring training. I saw two outfielders and five infielders in spring training. And it was when Schwarber was up and they overloaded the right side. There you go. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I, yeah. I, yeah. To me, it's all about, you know, all through baseball, it's been a series of adjustments, right? Why yes. can't they, why can't people adjust yes. to this? <laughs> yeah. I, not a big fan of that. No, not, me neither. All right, let's chat some football. So, Joe, you're the only one who got a victory this weekend out of our little group. Yeah, I, you know, every year uh, my wife will ask me, um, well, how do you think the Vikings are going to do? She pokes fun at me because you've been waiting for a lifetime <laughs> for a Super Bowl. I just like to get back to the Super Bowl. So I said, you know, I've learned not to overdo it. But I said, you know, I think uh, – I, th- I said, I think they're going to be good. And I said, don't, don't make a big deal of this, but I think they could be very good yep. early. But uh, if they can stay healthy, I think they could have, you know, could be a very good team. I don't think that's unreasonable to say that. Now, now the Packers are notorious for getting off to a lousy start. So yes. I, I, I wasn't surprised to see Minnesota play well. They came out and they were, they were bringing it. Uh, but, yeah, I think the Vikings um, – have a lot of tools on offense. Got a lot of big playmakers. Justin Jefferson, one of certainly one of the top He's amazing. receivers in the league. Uh, you've got uh, a couple of good running backs. You've got a good a tight end we haven't seen much of yet. Herb Smith Jr., who's coming back from an injury, he could be, he could be a really productive tight end. The offensive line is a lot better, not great, but I think they're probably in better shape there than they have been in a long time. So a very solid. Uh, offensive team, and most of the offseason work went with uh, shoring up the defense. Yep. They brought in some free agents. They've got Daniil Hunter back, who's healthy at this point. Um, Smith brought over from uh, Green Bay to give him a, another, um, you know, a, a standing, I don't call him a linebacker or just an upright defensive end. So they have pretty good pass rush. And they've added a couple of guys. First two draft picks they had were in the secondary. So if they can stay healthy, I think they're pretty solid, and the special teams look pretty solid as well. So uh, we'll see. You know, one game does not a season make, but uh, they played very, very well um, against the Packers Sunday afternoon. And I tell you one thing: from having followed them over the years, there's a different vibe on this team. You, I, yes. I, watched, I used to watch Mike Zimmer's locker room talks after the game, and then I saw Kevin O'Connell's locker room talk after this game. He's much more demonstrative, but the players, I've never heard the players that loud and that vocal. Uh, there was just a, uh, just a totally different vibe uh, in that locker room. And they needed a new voice. Yeah. Yes. And I, and I, I, it's hard to quantify that, but I'm telling yes. you a game like football, I think that's, that is a variable that you can't discount. And you know, you, that team kind of coming together like that, especially when you're, if you're a team like Minnesota, that's got pretty good talent to begin with. 
Now it's kind of like, okay, we're, we're allowing that to kind of gel in a much different type of atmosphere. And I think you said, Jay, it was time, but was time for a change. And so I think yeah. they've got a and, you know, leadership group there now. The Vikings are a popular pick for the surprise team this year. And I think that's yeah. correct. Yeah, yeah, they could be. I hope so. Of course, I hope so. Yeah. Because I need my team to hurry up. We're talking about your, your Pirates, something about you said your ownership with the Pirates were in no big hurry necessarily to get the team going. Yep. Well, when you get to be our age and you're still looking yes. for the first Super Bowl, we need him to hurry yes. up. <laughs> so we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, and actually, I did misspeak at the start. Uh, so, Jay, your team did win. In fact, I want to congratulate you. I think you were the first team to win 11 versus 22 in league uh, history. Correct. <laughs> that is correct. Um, the, uh, you know, everyone says the Steelers are going to be seven and 10 or, you know, seven, nine and one or whatever. And that's fine. Uh, their offensive line is horrible. Although we found out that Cincinnati's is worse. Um, despite what they did in the off season, uh, the Steelers uh, defense, if Minka Fitzpatrick wasn't the defensive player of the week, they should stop giving the award out. Yep. <laughs> 14 tackles, a pick six, you know, all those, uh, you know, block tackles for loss. Yeah, block extra point to save the game. Um, he had a game. TJ Watt blew up the game and then blew up his peck. And apparently he's out six weeks now because he doesn't require surgery. We shall see. A lot of people think that's the end of them because of how good he is. I'm not so sure because they, I mean, they do have talent on the defensive side of the ball, uh, you know, with Cam Hayward and the corners played very well. They each had a pick, uh, you know, they picked Joe Burrow four times and one was another one was negated by a penalty. He was not good. I mean, but when you get those kind of turnovers and you don't commit any, and you have to win by a field goal in the last play of overtime, something's wrong with your offense. And it's not Najee Harris, and it's not, I'm going to say this, it's not Mitch Trubisky. It's the offensive line. They can't move anybody out of the way. They protected Trubisky fairly well. Um, he got sacked once, but he's mobile. Big Ben was not mobile. So that's why they drafted Pickett. That's why they have Trubisky. Even Mason Rudolph is mobile. They can move things around. They can run their little jet sweeps with Chase Claypool, um, but can they score at all? The good news is this Sunday they have New England at home, and New England's quarterback is uh, slightly injured, and they, they laid an egg the first week against Miami. So um, I'm not so down on the team with P.J. Watt being hurt because I think there is a lot of talent on that defense, but that whole division, who knows? I mean, right now, who knew the Browns would be 1-0? You know, um, the Baltimore was predictable, but, uh, you know, everyone's going to be eight and nine at some point at the end of the season, uh, much not unlike the AFC West. And my other team, which Jeff was at first referring to, I live in Dallas. It's the Cowboys. And uh, it's also Jeff's team, so he can jump in here. On this, but <laughs> with Dak hurt, I don't care what they say. I don't care how fast his hand will heal. They're in a heap of trouble. Oh, yeah. There's no question about that. I keep going back because this will be like the third year. It's like, yeah, you can't tell me there's a better backup than Cooper Rush available to them. You know, no. Blake, hello, Blake Bortles still available. Although I think he's finally retired from football, but it's, it just astounds me 
you know, and, and, and like the Steelers, the Cowboy offense opted not to participate in the game on Sunday night. Uh, that is correct. Uh, you know, and you got to go back to their, their moves on, you know, not giving them enough quality receivers. Yep. Uh, the offensive line is, is, is pretty much a crap show at this point. Yep. Although I will say Tyler Smith acquitted himself pretty well. well. Uh, yes. Being a rookie at, at left tackle, I think he had a, had a decent game. Um, but then I always go back to Kellen Moore. You know, you know Zeke looked great. He, he looked did. like he he looked in shape. He he, you know, he run, he'd run two times for twelve yards, and then then they'd throw it three straight times. <laughs> and, yeah. and 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 finish the drive. So yeah, it, they're they're in a world of hurt. Uh, and you know. the whole division got better. Um. And they don't, the roster is not as good as it was last year. No. I mean, I, the, uh, the offensive line, Tyron Smith's hurt. You know, CD Lamb should be a number two receiver somewhere, not your number one receiver. And, you know, getting burned in the secondary, you know, yeah, I got my 11 interceptions, but I got burned 15 times last year. Uh, Diggs, you got to watch out for that. Yeah. Um, so, they're hurting and their logic for not trading for a quarterback is anyone who's out there is no better. This is, I'm quoting here, no better than Cooper rush. And he already knows the system. Okay. Um, yeah. I, I think Will Greer might be better than Cooper rush. I agree. Who's the third string. Uh, I but agree. Still. I don't think that's going to be the answer. I remember. I remember Cooper Rush. I don't know much about him, but I remember one game last year yeah. at U.S. Bank Stadium on a Monday night, or it was a night game, and the Vikings just needed to win. And Cooper Rush outplayed Kirk Cousins and made the Vikings look foolish. Yeah. So now, that was Minnesota. Although, so I don't know if although, that was a total anomaly or what. Although the best pass thrown that night by a Cowboy was from Cedric Wilson, the wide receiver. Yes. <laughs> well, they might have had the running game going on. Yeah, that's true, too. <laughs> but, but, yeah, you know, but they, yeah, but, you know, you lose Cedric Wilson, who was a, who was a great third yep. receiver, Amari yep. Cooper, you know, and I know Cooper could run a little hot and cold, but at least he could draw guys away. Yeah, he had the talent to do that. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, you know, they'll get Gallup and Washington back. I mean, that'll help. But yeah, with the uh, if Dak's out more than six weeks, if it's a if it's an eight week thing, uh, yeah, they may be playing for next year. Yep. Yeah, that's not a, a good thing. Yeah, you know, and I try not to overreact to week one, but what I saw was not good. Uh, well, and they've got the Bengals this week, and. I guarantee you Joe Burrow will not throw four interceptions this week. Yeah. Well, hopefully Micah Parsons will sack him four times. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> he is going to be an amazing player. Deal. Yes. Yep. Yeah. No question. Oh, well, so football's already misery for me. So thank God the Braves will be in the playoffs. So <laughs> that'll, that'll get me through October at least. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. So. We talked about doing TV sports themes. So, uh, Jay, which one do you want me to play first? Uh, let's do Fire on High. Okay. Um, I researched this a little bit. It was for two years, uh, no, three seasons, the theme to CBS Sports Spectacular. That's 76, 77, and 78. However, 
during those three years, they renamed the show the CBS Sports Special. But for some reason, that guitar riff hung in my mind as being the theme to CBS Sports Spectacular. It's uh, Fire on High by Electric Light Orchestra from the amazing Face the Music album, which came out in 1975. And it's one of my favorite all-time songs. All right. We're going to give that a listen right now.
Yeah, that was definitely a, a, a great selection and, and one not, you know, people go first to the list on, uh, you know, that's a. It just stuck in my brain from that was high school for me. And that was Saturday, you know, competing against ABC's wide world of sports. And I just the song stuck in my head to this yeah. day. World's Strongest Man was born back then, right? That is correct. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember. I do remember. <laughs> All right, so uh, let's hear your second choice now. All right, here's the deal. Monday Night Football, original theme. Okay, we're not talking Hank Williams Jr. or any of the others. I know Carrie Underwood does Sunday Night Football, and Faith Hill did that for years. But the original electronic sounding, it was two minutes long, too, I believe, uh, in the first couple of years of Monday Night Football. The first year, of course, was 1970. And in that year, Keith Jackson was the play-by-play guy. Uh, in the Monday night crew for that one season. And then after that, it was uh, Don, the GIF, and Howard afterwards. But the original theme to Monday night football goes like this. Yeah, that is nothing short of spectacular, and, you know, and, and considering and, and I'm not even counting the Hank Williams stuff in this, their themes of the later 70s, and early 80s were really good, too. Yes. Uh, but but yeah, the original is certainly uh, uh, still the king as far as that goes. That was a great one. I would have picked that one had Jay not beaten me to it. But yeah, that was a great <laughs> choice. That was that was my favorite as well. I love I love that one. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, all right, Joe. Uh we got two selections from you. So uh, 
Which one do you want to hear first? Well, let's go in reverse chronological order and start with the NFL today from uh, 76 through about 82. Mm, awesome. Live at Riverfront Stadium in Cincinnati, it has been raining hard, and there is respect for the home team in the NFL. Despite only one victory this season, the Bengals are favored over a Falcon team that is driving for the playoffs. And now live from sold-out Tampa Bay Stadium, where the Green Bay Packers know a victory is a must, and the Buccaneers are out to play the spoiler role. And live from Giant Stadium in East Rutherford, New Jersey, the Los Angeles Rams will try to get untracked with a victory over New York, and a win for the Rams would assure them of a at least a tie for the NFC West. Uh, there will be uh, uh, 20 out of 28 teams in contention for the AFL and the uh, NFC. Here we have Los Angeles won 10 games, lost three. Atlanta won eight games, lost five. Although LA won, they haven't got a chance. But all this and more on NFL today or tomorrow, depending on the weather. The inclemency sometimes can be a very important factor. And Joe did that with a twist as well, because uh, we kind of got the you are looking live open from Brent Musburger, uh, yes. which became his phrase. Uh, yes. For a lifetime. Yes. That, that just became part of it. And, uh, you know, I, remember, I think the studio announcer came in as the music bed eventually would fade out and would say something like the NFL today is brought to you by <laughs> and now from CBS sports control, Brent Musburger. And, I mean, that was like just the thing uh, back in the well. day. And so I did a little bit, little bit of research on it because I've often wondered like, where does this stuff come from? And the composer was, uh, this was a Jack a guy named Jack Tromby. And the, the, the music piece is called horizontal hold. And apparently it was just production music from the uh, well-known DeWolf Music Library, which spewed out different um, sound beds and things that I guess were used in production elements for programs. And so that's what that was. And I am told it debuted during Super Bowl X between the Cowboys and Steelers, which I think would have been a... When a couple of weeks after the Drew Pearson Hail Mary from Staub, I think that was in 70s. Yes, yes it was. Yes. Yeah. These dates are correct yes. anyway. Absolutely. I believe yeah, it's it, uh, And it's, uh, you know, it's kind of a brassy up-tempo version uh, compared to what they had been using before. And I think up until that point, CBS hadn't really paid much attention to their music on, the, on, the, on their, on their yep. shows. And um, 
And so when they, you know, when, when that pregame show really became the standard bearer for a while with Brent, Phyllis, Irv, and Jimmy. Irv. Um, Jimmy. And that music just kind of set the, uh, the tone for yep. that. And of course, there were later iterations of the music they used, but this is the one that I remember uh, early on and used, used to love tuning in to hear that. Awesome. Well, yeah, great memories. As a matter of fact, uh, I don't know if you've, if you've heard that uh, the episode of the show that I had Rich Podolsky on who did the book about the NFL today. I highly recommend you read that book. It's, wow. Uh, yeah. it's, uh, I'm writing it down. Yes. It's called You Are Looking Live. Well, yeah. 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 That, it's a that great sounds like a good one. It's a great book. And I, I, I was able to get them on the podcast. We talked about that. Uh, it's great stuff. And of course, uh, you know, I always think about who, who, who didn't love Phyllis George, but boy, Jane Kennedy really made my knees buckle. <laughs> yeah. She came a little bit yes. later, but yes, yes. Absolutely. Yeah, Jane Kennedy. <laughs> oh man. Good stuff there. So, yeah. And, um, and also what I find interesting because, you know, I'm, I'm watching the YouTube clip of this too, is, all the hits they show on there are now flagged in today's game. <laughs> yeah, you couldn't get away with that now. That's right. Yes. Shots to the head and everything else. Right? Yeah. So times have a change uh, for sure. So uh, let's get your second choice up. Also a football-related theme there, Joe. Yeah, and I, I would say this is my favorite all-time uh, sports theme, any uh, era, any sport. And I remember it most from the uh, NFL on NBC as they covered the old AFC games back uh, from about – 1973 through 77 and the composer was kevin gavin it was a tune called don't turn away and was used not only on the nfl games but nbc also used this theme for uh, some of their mlb coverage as well as the national hockey league now i didn't watch a lot of uh, nhl action back then so i remember it primarily from the sunday afternoon nfl games but i just love the music it's a yeah. um, Jazz fusion, lots of horns. There's a great saxophone solo in there by, uh, I believe it was by Michael Brecker. Uh, Ooh, the one of the Brecker brothers. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it was kind of in keeping with that music of the day. And we'll all appreciate this having been in radio. You know, I think back to the, the some of the early Chicago 
tunes, uh, you know, with Robert yep. Lamb and some of those guys with all the horns. And, and, it, and it almost sounded like it could have been a Quinn Martin production instead of an NFL game at times. But, uh, <laughs> a little bit of a newsy sound, too. It does. Yeah, and I was going right. to say, and yep. it's funny you mentioned that, but as I was reading about this, at, at that time uh, in the early 70s, NBC Sports was still a division of NBC News. Uh, ABC Ooh. and CBS had separated the two out at some point previously. I think ABC actually had some years earlier. And somebody pointed out that if you look at, at a lot of the uh, credits, if you look closely at some of the credits on the sports programming, it always said uh, the preceding has been a sports production of NBC News. Now, wow. to me, that music does sound have a kind of like a news sounder kind of vibe to it. And uh, I always kind of experienced it that way. Yeah. And during this same period of time, NBC Nightly News with, um, I think John Chancellor would have probably been the evening anchor during this time. They had some, had a really cool news theme as well. Probably my all time favorite news theme uh, for network evening news. And that was a tune that Henry Mancini composed for NBC Nightly News. And it ran for a few years right around this same time. So yeah. like NBC was really pretty hip with, with the music. I don't know if they were winning, I doubt that they were winning the ratings with uh CBS on a lot of the sports coverage, but they had the best, the best music, in my opinion. I used to just love listening to the, uh, to those games just to hear some of the, you know, the, the kind of the jazzy sounding music yeah. with it. You know, so it was cool. I hear Kurt Gowdy Kurt, in my head Kurt now. Gowdy and Al D. Rogatis <laughs> back in the early days. Right? Oh my God. <laughs> I just that? had a Bob Trumpy <laughs> vision too. <laughs> Bob Trumpy. That's right. Nice. <laughs> Charlie Jones and uh, oh, yeah. came around at some point. Yep. Yep. Don Cricky, I think, was on the NBC side there for, he was. for a while. Yeah. 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 Great yeah, selection. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Like that a lot. Absolutely. So. All right. So I've brought a couple to the table. And this first one I'm going to play. To me, is the anthem of March. Yes, and that is the original from the early '90s. Uh, yep. uh, you know, CBS had a, had a couple of themes prior, but this one is basically they still use a version of that theme today. But I still always like the original just because it's so up. Yes, you know it's it, you know they they've gotten gotten a little more orchestrated, you know, medium tempo over the years. It's still great. Don't get me wrong, but that original really just really just makes me think March. <laughs> just, I agree. 
Yeah, we all have this kind of visceral reaction to the music from that we've selected and identify it with a, a certain emotions we probably experienced at the time. And as soon as we hear it now, we're right back to it instantaneously, yes, 30, 30, 40 years ago, whatever it is. That, that's the cool thing about it. Yeah. And I think, too, the fact that, you know, I always, you know, and I still to this day take the Thursday and Friday off for the first games of the NCAA tournament. I've been yep. doing this forever. And I, you know, and, and, and that music just comes to mind for me every time. So one of my favorites for sure. And then my second selection also sticking with CBS, because uh, I think they kind of really up into the 80s and 90s, they really upped their theme game. And this is what Mm -hmm. they had for the National Football League. So there you go. The, the 80s version of their NFL game production music. Uh, yes. Yeah. One of the, to be one of the very great ones. Excellent piece. You're right. They up their game. And it, yeah. and it follows the one we played earlier, one that I selected, I, I believe it, it was the uh, maybe I don't know if it was the immediate successor to that, but it just kind of was the next generation yeah. of that music. Yeah. But, and they were they were making it happen at that point. None of that boring NFL today, CBS stuff from the mid 60s where you know, music was an afterthought. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure. And I almost picked my other third CBS favorite is their NBA theme from the 80s. Oh, yes. Which was also very outstanding. Absolutely. And, you know, that I, was during, I just saw Bird and Magic in my in my brain. Yep. That was the heyday <laughs> of, of, of that rivalry. Uh, and, 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 you know, and they and that music piece was interesting because, you know, they had certain pieces of the bed where they would do the voiceover, then a little bit more music. Yes. Then another segment of voiceover. Yes. So I almost pulled that one out of the hat. Uh, maybe I'll run it at the end of the show. <laughs> as a close yeah why not <laughs> all of this reminds me of the scene in the movie broadcast news where they're in the studio and the guy comes in to play them the new jingle for the news network and he's going while they're doing it and just to think there are people composers very intelligent talented people who sit in rooms and come up with these things for sports programs thank god for them <laughs> Yes. Hallelujah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, I love that scene. I've played that clip on the show before. It is so fun. <laughs> Good stuff. All right. Well, we'll have to do some more themes the next time we gather around too, because I yep. think we have a uh, treasure test 
a treasure chest of, uh, of stuff. There's more, there's more where these came from, I'm sure. Yes, yes, for, for sure. Well, that concludes things for another round. As always, Joe and Jay, been a pleasure having you on. Thanks again. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks, Jeff. Good to see you guys. for listening to Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Follow Jeff on Twitter at Jeff Allen underscore 88, on Facebook at Jeff Allen 88, and the website JeffAllenSportsTalk.com. And you can reach out to the show anytime by email, JeffAllenSportsTalk at gmail.com. Jeff Allen Sports Talk is brought to you exclusively by Kramer's Salve for Dogs.